0: hi boys are we doing Hi hey, coffee very good you looking forward to uh, these music Cymru today yes very much so so
1: much going on
2: yeah
0: oh I know absolutely it's um yeah jam-packed uh, a day um lots of new releases um, Dave, you did a really interesting piece about the return of booby trap um and they're going to digitize all the singles and that they're coming out today
1: yeah, that's really exciting. The first time that's ever been uh, digitally released, uh, legendary record label, Booby Trap.
0: So, Neil, what are you looking forward to uh, for this year's Deep Music, Um
2: Most looking forward to, uh, it's probably an obvious choice, but um, Hugh Stevens' interview with uh, Risi Evans, who I've always found a really sort of endearing sort of character, really. Um, you know, appeared in uh, loads of, you know, brilliant films and uh, he's always got the glint in his eye, even twin Town years ago, obviously, and then... Um, yeah, I've seen a little trailer they put up where, say, where Reese says, um, even if you can't speak Welsh, if you're from Wales, it's your language, which I thought was a brilliant little soundbite. But uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And um, yeah, it's such a brilliant amount of content, really, um, in circumstances, you know, which is unlike we've ever been in before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we a special guest today, Laura Nunes, a.k.a. She's Got Spies. Fantastic story. So, so fascinating. Um, yeah, just we, we met her in the last gig we went to, I think, Neil, before the lockdown, um, which was the independent venue week, or maybe the last gig in in Cardiff or yeah. Wales. Um, and Dave, you wrote a piece about her profile in uh, her on uh, Nation Cymru.
1: Yeah, really interesting person, incredibly passionate about Welsh music and uh, the only person I've ever heard of who's done work experience at TJ's in Newport mad story (laughs) and from London as well
0: like not many people go to uh, not many people go to like TJ's on work experience when you're too young to serve behind the bar let alone coming all the way from London yeah but she talks of that in the episode
1: I would love to have been the teacher who uh, listened to that conversation when she came (laughs) in and said sir can I go to uh, work experience at TJ's in Newport (laughs) <laughs> like where's, where's Newport? Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, so lots going on as we said uh, for this year's Deep Music Cymru. Um you could follow along uh, on social media, um all the usual channels, um, and uh Am Am dot uh hosting all of the um all of this year's activity. Uh rando. So Rando. Salora, Diakam Saheno. Joy So. Thanks for agreeing to take part in the These Music Memory special for us today. Obviously, you've got a really interesting story. Uh, but let's start from the start. You know, grew up in London. What's your earliest music memories?
3: My earliest music memories, I think the first band I really got into was Supergrass after I heard them on the radio. And so that's when I was about 13. And after that, I got into more Welsh bands. So 60 Foot Dolls were the first Welsh band I got into and then lots of the kind of grip-pop and indie bands at that time. Oh, James
2: Inker, Supergrass, our last, uh, our last gig we ever went to in Amsterdam. Yes, <laughs> <It's pretty laughs> Yeah, my God, seems like a lifetime ago now.
3: Uh, and then, of course, bands like Superfairy Animals got lumped into that, even though they weren't necessarily grip-pop. But, yeah, Blur and Oasis at the time, all those kind of bands I was into.
1: What intrigued you about the uh, Welsh bands, Laura?
3: I guess it just happened that there were a lot of good ones at the time. I mean, you had Catatonia, Mellis, Gorkies, of course, loads of bands on that scene at the time. Plus, there was the language difference as well, too, for some of them, which was like something different, I suppose. A bit unusual, I suppose, growing up in London.
2: I read um, that you didn't uh, come from a particularly uh, musical household. Was um, all the stuff you got off your own back, you know, with the the influences and bands you absorbed then?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't have any musical influence at all, really, because mm, my mum would listen to the radio sometimes, things like that, but nothing in particular. She wasn't a fan of anything. So, and I, my sister's younger than me, so I influenced her. So I just didn't have any kind of musical influence other than watching like the ITV chart show or, or listening to Radio 1, like the evening session on Radio 1 and things like that. that, is what got me into music.
0: What about playing music? What was the key moment for you?
3: I mean, I was always singing to myself, like singing along to songs and stuff, but I didn't try writing a song really until I was in my 20s, probably, Like, I I guess I just didn't feel like I had the confidence to do it. Because I played keyboard a bit, but not great or anything. And I didn't, I I was always really shy as a kid. So I didn't think I could possibly sing in front of people or anything like that. So I didn't even think I'd be able to sing. I actually wanted to be a bassist. I remember when I was a teenager, because I thought it'd be the only thing I could do kind of thing. But I've never <laughs> played bass, <laughs> so I ended up eventually being a singer.
2: <laughs> you said about um, discovering the sixty-foot dolls. How did that come about? Was it the Big Three? Where you know, how how did you come to get uh, to listen to that first time?
3: I think I mean it was before the Big Three was released. I think they were just playing the singles on the evening session with Steve Lamarck and Joe Wiley at the time. I guess it was stay was probably the first one I heard, I guess, maybe Pig Valentine, and then that got me. I saw them in London before the Big Three was released. They played at the Astoria, which doesn't exist anymore now, but they played, I think it was an Enemy tour or something like this. So that was the first gig I went to, actually, 60 Foot Dolls. They were supporting Reef, I remember. And then from there, I just saw them several times after that, really both in London and in Newport and in Cardiff. What did your
1: friends uh, give you a love of Welsh bands?
3: Uh, well, one of my friends was really into them too. So we kind of shared that between us, but the rest of them thought, oh, it was a bit weird. Like, why do you like all these strange bands and stuff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something that really intrigued me, Laura, was um, you going on work placement to team. Uh, yeah. so were you in were you like in the fifth form at school or the sixth form and you uh, asked the teacher if you'd go on work placement in Wales
3: yeah it, <laughs> was, it was the first year of sixth form and I mean I'd been to TJ's a few times before that to go to gigs and I thought oh it'd be great if I could go over there and do my work experience and the, the school weren't particularly happy about it because it was a grammar school so they wanted you to go to like lawyers or or something like this and so it's a bit weird and unusual for them but they let me do it and like they, <laughs> they were happy that I did it in the end.
1: <laughs> what did you end up doing? Uh,
3: not a lot because I was 16 I could yeah. only sack cans of drink in the fridge and work on the cloakroom things like that so i ended up watching gigs most of the time which is cool, which is what I wanted to do really. <laughs> what were
1: John and Trill be like, the owners?
3: Yeah, he like John was lovely, like he he always looked after me like almost like family I guess, because when I later lived in Newport, I lived just round the corner from TJ's. So I'd be there all the time. And I remember going with my friends for Sunday dinners at his when he lived up near Abergavenny, I think it was. So, yeah, he was lovely, like, I was good friends of him at the time, definitely.
0: Yeah, I think everyone we spoke to about John just said about, like, you know, his hospitality and, you know, how welcoming he is to, like, those bands who are, you know, just playing and then going upstairs to the, to yeah. the, to the house. And, yeah, obviously this episode is tying in with um, Deed Music Cymru, a celebration of all, you know, Welsh language music. So... I think, you know, having you on gives us the perfect opportunity to talk about someone from England, from London, getting immersed in sort of the Welsh music scene and then learning Welsh on the back of it. There's so many stories about people across the world learning English through like the songs of the Beatles. But you don't really hear many sort of tales of someone, you know, learning Welsh outside of Wales, being inspired by the music. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Tell us where that came from and what made you want to embrace the language. Was it, was it to understand the songs or was it just to be you know part of the culture?
3: It was mostly, I guess, to understand the songs and I just loved the sound of the language. I thought it'd be a language I would like to speak just because I enjoyed listening to it. So it was just from listening to Superfairy Animals and Gorkies and Mellis and hearing those songs and thinking, like, I love the sound of this and also I wonder what they're saying. So it made sense to learn Welsh.
0: How did you go about starting
3: I was just teaching myself at first. I bought like a Welsh dictionary and like one of those learner books. So I was just read, doing it for reading, which wasn't great. I mean, I couldn't learn to speak fluently or anything like that from that, but I would learn the odd word or so. And then it was later when I moved to Cardiff, Then that's when I went to uh, like the old pun course at Cardiff University. So I learned to speak it properly then.
2: I found um, in my learning that um, I had a good grasp of vocabulary, but it was the grammar I found an nightmare, and um, and the mutations. I you know, how have you found
3: that um, to deal with over the years? I found it difficult. Definitely, it's hard to get your head around it at first. But I think the best way to go about it is to not concentrate on the grammar and mutations and wondering if you're making mistakes things like that and just learn how to speak it and have conversations in it and that's the best way to learn really because eventually the grammar and the mutations will come and you just you know the sound of it eventually so I mean it's a lot easier if you try not it let it get to you too much at first I think.
0: Yeah and no, I, I definitely agree with that I think I think you know be trying to you know learn Welsh over multiple sort of times and I think I always get caught up in the mutations and these sort of things but just like thinking about it from a from an English speaking perspective I don't think I could speak English properly or <laughs> know all of the grammar and these sort of things in English so that like that's and like the say something in Welsh course that I've been doing it's just been fantastic because it it sort of like treats you like almost like you know how you you learn language as a as a child you sort of like listen and you repeat and then you learn and then you build on top of it I think people get so concerned by that you know the the, the top end of it and the, the worrying of that and you know we spoke to oz gwyneth in the last series a lot of welsh learners look at you know songs like sabana v, O's song as being you know really something that they could embrace and he talks about the concept of writing in a song and making this and simplifying the welsh and you know removing some of the um the mutations he couldn't give us a good example in one of his songs but he said <laughs> that about like you know, pie de pony and just to make it simpler and alliterative and, and these sort of things. And, and also the ability for people to just, you know, make mistakes and, and have
2: that confidence. In, in saying that, though, uh, my pronunciations in our episode with uh, Hugh Stevens uh still send a shiver up my spine. <laughs> <No shocking. laughs>
0: I think that's the thing. You just can't beat yourself up. You just got to go for it. Give it a go. I, yeah. Whenever I'm like, you know, you know, going down the shop and, um, I went to a coffee shop uh, in, in Victoria park, uh, last week and I had, um, a hat on that suggested I was potentially a Welsh speaker. And then he started speaking to me and, you know, just ordering a coffee and then, you know, and I was like, sorry, I just, cause I just couldn't compartmentalize my brain. And I felt sort of like awful afterwards because, you know, I knew what he said if I knew that he was going to speak Welsh, do you know what I mean? And it's just that, you know, just the shifting between the two languages, but, um, I think yeah, just everyone just just yeah, pick it up, give it a go, and you know make mistakes. And you know, people, I think they're more happy for you to to try than than than
1: not. When when you moved to Wales, Laura, to Newport first, wasn't it, and then Cardiff? Yeah did you did you find it easy to find a community to speak Welsh with? Uh, was it firstly within the musical community, or did you just gravitate towards you know? Do you have society or Welsh Language Society or Club Ivar Bach to, to find people you could speak Welsh with?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely through the musical community the most, I would say. I mean, in Newport, I didn't speak enough Welsh by then anyway, but, I mean, it was rare, rarer to come across Welsh speakers there. But in Cardiff, definitely, I would go to Club Ivar Bach every week. I would go to dozens and dozens of gigs and a lot of them were Welsh language gigs so it was just through that really I would meet Welsh speakers and just speak to them and I'd probably be drunk or something if I was at club so I wouldn't feel so so bad about speaking Welsh badly or something like this so I think it was through that really that I, I met Welsh speakers for the first time.
2: What um, classics or Welsh language albums and songs
3: stick out in your mind as your favourites over the years? Definitely Mung would be one, because, I mean, that was obviously also the biggest-selling Welsh language album by Superi Animals or ever, I think, plus the Gorky's albums, uh, I mean, the first one I bought was fundal so that was more bilingual. It was more in English, but also bilingual. Like Patio Song was the first gawky song that I really got into. So it was nice to have that bilingual element too, because it was, it was kind of brought you more into the Welsh language. It wasn't all in Welsh. But... Uh, all the early Gorky's albums so Patio, Boy Time, Tate, which I'll speak about later. And like Mellis, but again, they had lots of bilingual albums. So Rumour and Curses, uh, Super Spin, it was all kind of mostly bilingual.
0: And then you, you set up, um or you formed uh, She's Got Spies in 2005, which obviously references a... Uh a super furry animals track. Was there any sort of um, close second?
3: I can't remember, really. It was so (laughs) long ago that I don't really remember. I don't think I thought of any band names at the time, I think, because I already had the website She's Got Spies, which was Welsh gig photos and reviews and things like that. So it kind of felt natural that I would use the same name. I don't remember thinking of other names. I might have done at the time, but I can't so long ago that I've forgotten
1: <laughs> well it works well doesn't it let's be honest it's quite exotic sounding as well it does is, yeah various very, very, very images of uh, international travel and bond films and yeah. Like <laughs> yeah did you get any feedback from the band Laura did you meet Griff or any of those guys
3: um, well I asked Griff if I could use the name because I said I hope you don't mind but I'm thinking about calling my band She's Got Spies is that okay I think it was during the days of Myspace, so I sent him a message on Myspace. And he's like, well, yeah, if it helps, then yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: that's cool. That's cool.
0: Um, so talk us through the process of, um, of writing uh, your, your debut album Weddy. How did you find, you know, the, the process of writing um, an album in, in, in a language that wasn't your, your natural language?
3: Uh, it was difficult compared to writing in English, definitely. I mean, I took sometimes years on writing. Like, Duy Wedi Maru, I think I wrote about four years before recorded it for the first time. And so it was definitely, it took me longer to think about what I was trying to write. Although at the same time, I had to write more simple things than I might want to write. So in that way, it was kind of easier to not think too much about what the lines were. But at the same time, I had to check the mutations and check it made sense not that. So I would ask friends to check, like, is this right? And I know I, I did miss some mutations and things like that. So when I listen to Wendy, sometimes I cringe. I think, like, oh, that's the wrong mutation or something. But <laughs> it, it's mostly okay. <laughs> And um, you were
2: co-writing that album um, with Matthew Evans of Murray the Hump. And, yeah. Uh, how did you find work?
3: Oh, it was really easy, really, because at the time we were writing quite quickly, I suppose. So I would just have all the lyrics that I'd written already. And then some I would have a melody, like to be ready, model was a certain melody. And I would just go to Matthew's house and sing it. And he would just be able to pick up the chords and everything and, It would just work like that, really. So, I mean, we would do a song every weekend at the time. We would uh, write it, record it, and that was it, really. Sometimes it would be played on the radio the next week, which was pretty cool. So it was quite a fast process at the time. It just slowed down until anything actually got released (laughs) because it was like an 11-year gap or something from the first recording to when it actually got released.
2: Wow. Uh, how did you meet originally?
3: I think probably in Clubby Bach I think. Oh, no, actually, it was through El Godot, who I met in oh. Clubby Bach And Matthew lived with Louis and Matty from El Godot at the time. So it was when I went to their house, I met him. I think that was the first time I met him.
1: Is it right that it was recorded at um, Resolve and Miners Welfare? Yes. Which is where the kids- the keys and El have uh, famously recorded. It's got a pretty unique sound. I understand.
3: Yeah, it's, it's an amazing place. It, I mean, it's an old theatre, so it was really amazing that the recording space for my vocals was actually on the stage. So it was just brilliant to stand on stage singing to this huge empty theatre, and it obviously. Like, it, it really helped with that atmosphere. Like, it was only three of the songs on the album that were recorded there. But I think right. those three are uh, some of my favourite recordings on the album because definitely it, gave, it brought it to another level being in that environment.
0: So not resting on English and Welsh language skills, you, uh, you followed up with a trilingual travelogue with uh, 13 songs in Welsh English. And Russian yeah. with I left Dogs. Did you write that like while you were travelling or did you write a writer when you came back?
3: It was mostly written while travelling or a lot at home in Moscow too because I, I was doing like 12-hour or more bus journeys and things like that, flights and things. So it was something to do really while I was stuck on a bus for so long as I would just write lyrics on my phone or something. Plus I had garage band on my iPod at first. And it was I could then put the chords together, do all the instruments how I want them and things like that. And so that's how most of the album was written. A few were done at home. Some were in London, some were in Cardiff and in Moscow when I was living there. And then the rest were just on the road. And I would just add to them whenever I travelled, I would just add bits and bobs, like, I'm gonna have a new Like on Vietnam, I did an uh, Erhu after I wrote the song on the train in Vietnam originally. So it was another, I think, 14-hour train journey or something. And then I just added bits as I went along, really.
0: Where did the Russian come from? Did you just learn that while you're out there, or was that something that you had sort of prepped beforehand?
3: Uh, I mean, I learned some Russian in Moscow because I needed it to travel, really, because there's very little English outside of Moscow and St. Petersburg. So if you want to travel, you have to be able to read the tickets, read the station signs. You have to ask people because there's literally, no one will speak English in some places you go to. So that was the main reason I learned Russian, plus to get by, obviously, in daily life in Moscow. Uh, But the song, How I thought of the idea when I was in Moscow, but I never actually wrote it until I was in London, actually, is when I actually wrote it. So I just thought, it just... It, it was a lot of hard work, I guess, trying to write in Russian. So I just put it off and put it off until I actually managed it.
1: Did Welsh act as a, a gateway drug into language? <laughs> really? um, Give you the confidence to learn another language?
3: Kind of, I suppose. I mean, I always loved languages, and I just—I mean, at school we learnt French and Spanish and latin so and i always really enjoyed learning languages so i guess it was one of the things that got me more into other languages
2: um yeah so the album starts with uh your recent single uh Super Sniffer Dogs." it's got a real sort of jaunty um musical sort of vibe um we played it at the end of our episode uh, with mark roberts um But underneath, there's a sort of dark sort of element as well. Um, It's about a dystopian festival, I understand, the lyric. Yeah,
3: it was a kind of imaginary dystopian festival, which I wrote after staying in the Isle of Dogs a few times in Poplar. And it's a kind of really strange area of all these looming council estates everywhere. Then Canary Wharf is just behind it, which is a really rich area. So it was just... Kind of. Well, it, originally, it wasn't even about a festival. It was just a dystopian scene in London. It's supposed to be Victorian London. And then the idea of a festival came at the last minute, really, just before going into the studio, like the day before we went into the studio to record it. So, I mean, it, it, it seems kind of very poignant now after 2020. But, I mean, it was actually written well the the original song was written about six years ago now, and then the lyrics about two years ago. The original lyrics, and it, but it was recorded in January 2020, so it was while everything was still normal, it was recorded. And then by the end of the year, when it was actually released, it seemed very appropriate, really.
2: And um, it's a cool video as well, um, featuring your mates' cute dogs, I understand. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, backing vocals, how at the end?
3: Oh, yeah, that's me on the backing vocals. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was oh, very fun to do that. So you, you speak uh, uh, English, Welsh, Russian, and dog.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I'm amazing. <laughs>
0: You posted on Twitter, um, the album notes, each song has a very specific story associated to it. It must feel like very poignant to look back on those sort of things and like maybe almost like akin to reading a diary.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean, the lyrics were very personal. Not all of them were about me necessarily. Like Vladivostok was about a lady I met in a hostel. I was staying in Vladivostok. So it was a kind of an interpretation of what she told me while she was there. But yeah, the ones that were about my own life, then yeah, it is. It's kind of nice to get it out there. It's kind of like a relief to get it out, I suppose, and just to it's a way of discussing the things, I suppose, and just getting it out there.
1: Where, where did your travel bug come from? Because it, it it it's still uh, still something that's deeply inside you, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. Um,
3: I guess probably from my dad because my dad could never stand still. Anyway, he was always travelling, always driving somewhere, never stopping for long. So probably from my dad. And um, where would you
0: say home is?
3: Uh, I I think of Cardiff as home really, but London too. So it's hard really. Cause it, I mean, at the moment, now that I'm in London, I feel like Cardiff's my home. So I feel like I'm, yeah but homesickness kind of things. I was there in December, but it's hard to know when I'm allowed back in again. It's difficult. So, but Cardiff feels most like home, I would say.
2: I would say um the Dogs is certainly an album that will inspire me to travel a bit more anyway once we can get through all this. But um I know, uh, well, well, the first thing I've heard of yours was Weddy Bliener, actually. Um, and oh. I could see, I could hear the sort of... um super furry sort of vibe straight away. Um, that one had a video recorded in Antarctica. Am I right in thinking that? Are you What a competition was that to go for there?
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, I won holiday vouchers and I could spend it on anything because um, it was £4,000 of holiday vouchers. I'd always wanted wow. to go to Antarctica and I would <laughs> never be able to afford that normally. So it was just a dream come true, really, to we in that trip to Antarctica and it just, it still feels surreal that I was actually there. It just doesn't feel like I was actually there, but I was. And I mean, I didn't intend to film the video for Weddy Blino at the time. I just filmed loads of footage while I was there. And then I just thought, while I had the footage, I thought, well, I should use it for something. so I used it for Weddy Blino because there were lots of animals sleeping everywhere. So I thought, quite appropriate. <laughs>
1: What was,
3: it, um, what was it like out there? Oh, it's beautiful. It's just absolutely incredible. It's really surreal. It's not everything you would expect. Like the first bit of Antarctica you arrive to is just mud and grass. So it's not how you would imagine it would look, all of it. But then when yeah. you go further south, it's obviously lots of snow, ice, glaciers, all surrounded by penguins and seals and whales everywhere and it's just absolutely incredible Like i would love to go back if i could i would absolutely love to go back
2: did um i read that you did a gig over there or was that what, where
3: was the gig you did on the train was that there? oh
2: or? i mean what i played
3: i did play in antarctica on the ship because yes, yeah. one of um, but i played on the train at indie tracks so that was a different gig <laughs> but um <laughs> I mean, it, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I need to play yeah, on a, a plane. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, planes, trains, automobiles. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but yeah, it's because they have um, the expedition crew on the ship have more than one job. So in the daytime, they drive the Zodiac boats and guide people where it's safe to walk, things like that. But one of them, Kevin, is a musician in Canada. So I asked him, he would play gigs of his own music and covers in the night, in the bar. So I asked him, will you be able to play one of my songs? And it was great because he just listened to, it was messy metal, he just listened to it for half an hour on his headphones and he's like, right, I've got it. And then we played it to the rest of the passengers later that night. So it was very surreal, definitely.
0: <laughs> when we come back after lockdown with the first episode and Dave joined, joined the podcast, now Dave talked about you know how um you know music's a medicine and you know we've all sort of like you know gone to music to make us feel better about our lives in the current situation. But I guess what we don't really understand is, you know, how has you know lockdown um and this whole sort of pandemic affected you as a musician and not being able to to gig. There's a song on on the album, The Fear, which um, you know wasn't written um, for the album but you know talks about you know maybe not the album not seeing the light of day can you talk about like you know the uh, that song and also you know what what it's like f- for a musician in, in lockdown
3: definitely I find lockdown horrible for musicians in general because live music of course is a huge part of getting your music out there and when you can only do virtual gigs or things like that or nothing if you don't do virtual gigs it's really hard to i suppose judge the reaction to to sell your music to promote your music it's definitely a lot harder I mean I'm, I'm not a fan of doing virtual gigs myself I just I find there's just not that atmosphere the essence is gone so I just feel it's nothing like a real gig. So it is really hard, but the fear I wrote during lockdown, it was the first song I wrote during lockdown. After weeks of feeling like no creativity, no inspiration or anything. It just came to me in my head that I was playing the keyboard more as just as something to do. And then it just came to me that song. So I was playing it every day for a while. I remember it was just something to do really, because Every day was like Groundhog Day, and it was just like, when am I going to get out of here? Like the, I mean, we were supposed to be in the studio the first week of lockdown, so I was really frustrated that I was so close to finishing the album. That would have been the last week before the album was finished, and then it would have had to be Mustard, which I could have done remotely, but I couldn't do the, the first bit. So... It was re- I was just sat there frustrated and not knowing when I would be able to finish the album or whether I'd ever be able to release it or if anyone would ever hear it, especially when some of the songs on it are like, you know, Kumpo was like 11 years old or something and some songs that had never been heard were several years old. So it's like, I'm, is anyone ever going to hear these songs? It was just massively frustrating, but I, I managed it somehow. I was just listening to the rumours on lockdown and things like that and just getting the first chance I could put the studio on the rumour that the lockdown was going to ease a bit. So I went to the studio the first week after lockdown was relaxed in the summer and then had to go back about a month later then. But I just managed to finish it all in the gaps between lockdowns. So the mastering again was done just before the next lockdown came in so it was just a huge relief definitely to get it all done that year because I just I felt if it was going to be delayed till this year I didn't think things would improve that much this year necessarily so it could be just endless delays as far as I, I was concerned so I'm glad I managed to get in between lockdowns and get it finished and is get it out there, really, even if it's not the way I planned to get it out there. I would have loved to do gigs and things like that. I mean, most of the songs have never been played live, so but it was just a relief to get it finished and get it out there.
0: Um, and the last little bit on them um, Isle of Dogs, um, looking through the, the album notes is, is almost like it's a, a well super group. All of the people involved in, in the production of it, and you know, three of the songs are co written with MC Mabon. Frank Norton on production, um, as well as other duties on the album. Yeah. Andy Fung of Dor- Dorero as well, and Pixie Jones on the guitar. You know what do um, you know? What do all of those different component parts bring to the table?
3: They make the album a lot better, definitely. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had the ideas on Garage Band them because I can't play guitar and I play keyboard, but I can't play keyboard or piano like Frank plays piano. So they definitely brought. It took the the expertise to be how I wanted it to be, rather than if I'd played it, all it would definitely not sound the same. So I had these ideas of how I wanted it to sound, but they definitely brought the expertise to make that happen as I wanted it. And with Griff, it was like different sounds, I guess, and because those were the only three that were co-written. It was just naturally different because they weren't written on garage band. that was just me and Griff when we were sat there writing. So it has, they came out with a different sound. And then definitely Frank is like a, a genius at all instruments. And he would bring more ideas when we we're in the studio, things like this. And like he plays the piano part on Super Sniffer Dogs, which I just think is amazing playing that I couldn't possibly play piano like that but I think it really brings out the song how I wanted it to be with that kind of music or sound. Yeah
0: it's, it's testament as well to um, something that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast about like you know just the um, the community of you know Welsh music in general whether that is you know the the journalists or the 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 musicians themselves, everyone's willing to help each other out. Has that contributed to, you know, uh, you considering Wales as as your home?
3: Oh, definitely. Because, say, Pixie from El Good, there was on that album, and I've been friends with them for a long time now. And, I mean, it was through that scene, I guess, that music scene that I made a lot of friends. And so it, definitely in cardiff especially you get the same musicians on lots of different albums and things like that so there's definitely that community in cardiff and outside of cardiff too so yeah it's
1: definitely what's next laura i guess you desperate to play the album
3: live yeah, I really hope to play gigs. I mean, the next gig that's booked at the moment is Focus Wales in October, which was meant to be last May. But, I mean, I'm still not sure that's going to happen, to be honest. So I just really hope that gigs will happen again. I mean, was lucky in London, at least, there have been quite a lot of gigs in October and September. There have been a lot of socially distanced gigs. So I've I've actually been to a few gigs in October which was a relief like really amazing to be in a venue again and to watch live music so I'm just hoping there's some opportunity like that this year that comes up plus I have more songs that were written in the first lockdown so and what older ones too that just weren't ever released so I hope eventually another album but it's hard to think of the next album when I haven't finished with this one because I haven't even played it live yet. So it's hard to get past that and work on the new stuff, really.
0: So thanks for your time tonight, Laura. Um, it's about this time in, in the podcast where we, we ask our guests to uh, to let us know their, you know their chosen album, their chosen favourite Welsh album. Uh, Who have you gone for?
3: I've gone for Tate by Gorky Zygotic Monkey.
0: Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, we know you're obviously a, a huge Gorky's fan, and you know that's one of the the gateway bands into uh, into Welsh language and Welsh music. But what, um, you know, what made Tate edge out, you know, like Zabarafundal, Spanish dance Troupe, as your favourite?
3: Well, it was a tough decision, really, because I love a lot of Gorky's albums, and my favourite changes a lot. But I think Tate's the album that's been my most consistently favourite Gorky's album. So I went with that one.
0: There's a, a very sort of like early field recording sort of vibe on, you know, on the album, particularly like this the, the, the first track, Thema Did you think that sort of recording technique is, is kind of, you know, why you, 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 you sort of are drawn to it?
3: In a way, yes, because it is quite lo-fi compared to a lot of the later albums. So it has that kind of charm about it and... Kind of innocence before all too many producers got involved or something it's just that really raw gawky sound i suppose
2: so yeah uh, released on Saint uh, david's day 1994 via the and label uh co-produced by the band and alan holmes uh, who also uh, provided the artwork and collaborating uh with gorwell owen who's uh, the engineer who went on to produce barrow when would be the first time you heard this album and you know how, how did you come across it?
3: Uh, the first time I heard it was off, long after it was released, definitely, because Barofundal was the first Gorky's album I bought and I think Spanish Dance Troop was the next one I had. So it was after that, so around 2000, I guess, must have been when I heard it for the first time, which is when I bought all the early albums like Patio Boy Time. It was quite hard to find at the time, I suppose, because they were very popular by that point. But it was just brilliant to hear the Welsh language albums. Well, they're kind of bilingual bits of English in there, but mostly Welsh language albums.
0: The rarity of it, I think they um, only issued like a thousand, thousand copies of it when it was first released. Um, yeah, similar to me. I, you know, I think my first uh, entry point into, into Gorky's was, was Patio Song. It's something that means quite a lot to me because um, I always say "Dava Cloud" to my daughter when we're crossing the road. And then, you know, because she knows the song now, she starts going, Manburu Klau. It's quite a similar um, entry point to Gorky's. But Dave, you were probably there from from day one. Um, what can you remember
1: about the release, mate? Are you, are you implying that I'm very old, Mr. Car? No, more, more that you are ahead of the curve. <laughs> I, I remember seeing them on... Um... Uh, Welsh Language uh, TV, you know, uh, that was my first introduction to a very young uh, Iros Childs, and um, uh, they were on a Video Now, which was a trailblazing Welsh language uh, music show back in the day. Um, and, and again, it was just that sort of uh, mix of uh, innocence, but uh, sheer songwriting talent that sort of... Shone through, and you you thought yourself, well, there's something quite prodigious about um, this group. You know, they're going to go on and carve out something quite unique and idiosyncratic. And um, so it proved, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think like that prodigious sort of talent um, and being so young is kind of like that gets spoken about quite a lot, doesn't it? And I think we mentioned that when we talking through you know, Adwaith and, you know, their debut album, you know, they're, they're very young, also hailing from Carmarthen. But I think it's probably more frequent than or more prevalent that, you know, bands start at that, you know, school age and, you know, recording and, and doing gigs probably more so than, I think it's just me being
1: old sort of thinking, oh, they're so amazing because they're so young. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a big scene in Wales, you know, it, it persists to this day that, um, especially at uh, Welsh language schools, that uh, music is. Uh, very much encouraged and uh made a focal point and um you know school tours are quite um prevalent you know and, and regular uh events my daughter when she was in primary school uh at the after school club would always come home and tell me about the brilliant Welsh language songs that they played you know from the past and the present and um you know, Welsh Language Music Day as well is really important in Welsh language schools, both uh, primary and secondary. So I think it's, it, you know, they come from that sort of rich tradition, if you like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, like UTan today formed in Glantaf, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, obviously they went to Escobar Murder, we mentioned that. We had... Uh, Matt from Zabrinsky, um, on in an earlier episode, who also chose a Gorky's album, but Ellis James on the, the, the podcaster from Oscar Then you know, Sean Harris, um, she's, she's due to come on at some point. Yeah. Just a, an absolute, yeah. You know, just farming out these sort of talented people across multiple disciplines. And yeah, you mentioned Carmarthen and, you know, there's a big scene there with Libertino and, you know, what's coming out of Libertino is just, um, Yeah, there must be something in the water out there.
2: (laughs) It's incredible as well, really, because I think Eros would only still be about 18, 19 at the time of Tate. Um, Yeah. I mean, 92. Younger. Younger, yeah, maybe even younger, actually. Yeah. I think he's in 1975. He's born, so um, what would that be at the time of Tata? Yeah, about yeah. He's, he's been, yeah. <laughs> Good math. <laughs> I only had a C grade at GCSE. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of uh,
0: interesting things going on in, in the inlay card of the album, and um, they're talking through the you know the second second tr- track, uh, Bessing Dig with Ivuch, and what happens to the cow, and they have got Doctor Alan Holmes on backward symbol. I uh, No idea what backward <laughs> symbol is. <laughs> Quite an interesting choice of name for the album. Bearing in mind that you know the the song uh, on the album is 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 more of like a like an interlude, um, and it comes up in a mix later on on side two as well.
3: When I first bought Tate, I just assumed it was a word in Welsh too. So I actually had no idea what Tate was until recently. Actually, what is it? A Japanese guitar, apparently. Ah,
0: okay. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> What's the standout track on the album for you?
3: It changes all the time, definitely, but probably now a pimp.
0: Okay, what about that song that makes it your favorite at the it's minute? It's
3: just got that gorky sound to it, like the ooze and the, the just classic Gorky's melody, and quite melancholic too. Like, I, I love a melancholic melody like that, and Gorky's do that brilliantly.
0: I think um, yeah, the key signature things for me for for the course obviously Aros's voice is amazing. Yeah, you mentioned it before. I could listen to it over and over again. That melancholic melody, you know, the, the 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 sudden changes in time signatures. I think they're definitely coming into themselves in this album and finding their 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 sound. You know, looking back on this album, it definitely feels as if this is a, a nod towards like you know where they're gonna go.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it has all the elements that just built into that classic gawky sound, because even though the later albums were more English language and very well produced in comparison to the older albums, then they still had that classic gawky sound always. It didn't go away. Even after John Lawrence left, I mean, it changed. Maybe it wasn't quite as maybe wacky as some of the ideas on the early albums but they always they still retained that sound all the way through the albums
0: yeah absolutely i think um i was lo- looking at uh, some research uh, for, for for this episode and and seeing i think it was an interview in the washington post that the, they they gave and and aeros was um you know saying that people think what we do is quite weird but it's literally the beatles and you know if you think about it that's exactly what the beatles did and they you know they're heralded as you know uh, musical geniuses and, and and rightly so obviously but you no, know, Gorky's are um, you know equally as um, as um, as talented in my my opinion.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> Balancing that sort of accessibility and and maybe not so accessible, and this is probably an album that isn't the most accessible in their in their catalog. But you know, it was interesting. you mentioned, obviously they moved into more English uh, language songs and or more um, uh, bilingual albums um, later on. You know, and there is obviously the the conversation that always comes up with welsh language bands is you know get a bigger audience sing in the english language you obviously done it the other way around what are your thoughts on on that you know in terms of welsh language bands perhaps historically needing to you know speak in the english or sing in the english language to, to to become more accessible but it feels as though that like doesn't seem to happen much anymore it feels people are you know welsh language Bands and artists don't seem to do that as much.
3: Yeah, that's true because, I mean, I would say someone like Adwife, who's been one of the most successful Welsh language bands lately, they don't seem to need to sing in English so much to get that recognition and get that audience. So I think there's just more of a general interest. Maybe there was in that time of the 90s too, there was an interest in more Welsh language stuff too. So even people who didn't speak Welsh would get interested in it. And I think it's that same sort of thing now where people all over the world are interested in Welsh recently. I mean, I saw a lady who lived in Moscow who was learning Welsh in Moscow, which was pretty interesting. And she was listening to Gorky's and things like this. So I think there is that just general appeal in the music now, regardless of which language it's in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned is obviously Alpha as well, who become, you know, the first Welsh language band to, you know, reach a million streams on uh, Spotify. And they did it again, (laughs) Um, just keep smashing it. Yeah, I think it's a bit more forthright um, in terms of, you know, um, that's the language they speak in. So why don't I communicate via song in in the language that that I speak in?
2: I read um, in uh, the uh, research about a Melody Maker review at the time, um, referring to um, Gorky singing Welsh as um, bloody mindedness. What 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 sort of do you recall of that period, Dave? Like in terms of the early nineties, what what was the sort of um, reaction amongst the national press uh, to Welsh language music?
1: Um, Just all the daft cliches, really, and all the ridiculous headlines that um, you know. Come on, feel the noise! Uh, You make me feel mighty real. You know, just a couple that I can recall off the top of my head. But um, in a sense, because Wales had been universally ignored as a musical backwater for so long, I think, um, you know, all the bands that were picked up on would so begrudgingly went along with the uh, ridiculous cliches and the sort of hammed-up headlines and everything else. It's just that, uh, you know, for so long Wales had been ignored, and this was a an opportunity to, you know, part of me thinks that record company executives exhausted every other uh, region in the UK and thought, well, oh, well, we better go over the Seven Bridge and have a, have a look. But, you know, that's, that's to denigrate the sheer quality of the fantastic music that was being made at the time. And, you know, you have the Welsh language scene of the, late 80s which was um, incredibly vibrant and diverse and um, dynamic and politically edged as well given the years of Thatcher um, and of course you know a lot of those Welsh language bands are Curve and um, Mutant and um, others obviously mutated into Superfury Animals and Catatomia and the like so you know but it was great that it wasn't a scene that was built solely on one sound or one look or one image, you know, you had Newport going off at the same time in tandem. So, you know, particularly rich period, but I know there was some consternation at the time when a lot of those bands who were um, big in a, in a small pool, if you like, like, you know, like a curve and crumb blowers and, a new tant and the like who was sort of frowned upon I think for singing in English, but you know, they reasoned if they wanted a career in music and, um, some sort of longevity that it was only natural that they would do this by reaching out to the world. But, you know, they always hung on to the Welsh language roots and, you know, you saw that brilliantly with two furry animals releasing Mung. So, um, you Know it was the best of both worlds,
0: I think. I think I remember um Eros saying something like, uh, the reason why they they sang in Welsh because they you know they didn't expect to be heard outside Wales, and equally, you know, with the name, they were like, you know, we probably wouldn't have named ourselves the way that we did, you know, <laughs> if um, we had a serious career in music in mind. So, I, I don't, I don't, you know, it's uh, it's, it's funny to think that they didn't take themselves as serious as you know. I guess us now, you know, 20 years later, you know, (laughs) deconstructing everything that's going on.
2: They um, strike me as um, kindred spirits to the Super Furries as well, Uh, mainly um, not not just with their sort of um, endless creativity and innovation and that sort of thing, but um, their song titles are so sort of Super Furries-esque as well, I think, like Bersin did with the voice, which you said earlier, James, about um, what happened to the cow. Um, And just wonderfully sort of mundane sort of uh, song titles as well, you know, not uh, against the sort of conventional rock and roll sort of stereotypes of drugs and hedonism and all that sort of thing. Yeah. On this album, you've got in Norse, which I think translates as Night Kitchen, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fenest is that Window Shelf?
3: Window So
2: is, is that what it is, I suppose, like with the sort of furries, uh, is that what makes them all the more endearing as well, that there's a real sort of character and individualism to their work?
3: Yeah, true. It was because they were quite different in that they did come across like they weren't trying to be popular and trying to write things that would be popular. Or it, it was a bit quirky, I suppose, from the outside. And it it didn't matter what it was they were singing about. They just made it great anyway. So it didn't have to be too political or trying too hard kind of thing which was a lot of the appeal of it
0: too the the other thing they they sort of you know particularly with this album you know wearing their influences on their sleeve you know it's very nods to you know psychedelia and there's a you know there's a track on there called kevin Ayers, which you know it was who's you know and they've even shouted him out in the album saying the creator of the best lp of all time shouting at the moon so a tribute of sorts so they definitely wear their you know um their influences on their sleeve with this um you know, there there is an album, uh, Yakhidar, tribute to Gorky's that was, re- you know, released by Record Preen in 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 2016. There's lots of you know covers of of Gorky's tunes in there. If um, she's got spies, was ever to give a Gorky song the cover treatment, what would what would you go for?
3: I would go for Golny Godfen. Okay, I've actually considered doing it as a cover before, but just haven't got around to it yet. That's my favourite Gorky song.
2: Yeah, so it's um, quite a sort of diverse. Um uh album throughout from a uh, psychedelia to sort of folk pop to uh prog rock uh influences what are the moments from the album sort of uh really stick out to you
3: um well i love a four four n is another of my favorite it's all those kind of oohs and ah melodies that aros does it's just like classic sound he brings to it and like heaven airs is such a short track but it just has all those kind of elements of Gorky's in it. It's just classic Gorky's to me. Plus, I think the last four songs on the album, like Anna Apera, and it's kind of four yeah. songs that are the same continuing song, is just another kind of classic Gorky's thing. I know a Russ has done that sort of thing on his solo albums. And it's just, even though a lot of it is quite random, I suppose and doesn't necessarily all go together. It just somehow works with Gorky's. It just always Mm. flows together as an album, which doesn't always happen these days. I mean, my my copy's actually a Japanese copy, so I've got four extra songs on it. So I I always forget that it ends in Ana Apera, because there's actually four more songs on the Japanese one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, grass. Pronoun is um, yeah. It's a, that's that's probably my favourite track on the album. But again, that's you know that's that's probably got the most you know um, yeah Gorky's vibe written by A. Ross. But you know, still you've got um, Alan Holmes on chair, Richard on sellotape, harking towards that. You know, um, Paul McCartney on. Celery vibe, or on scissors uh, in the last few years, isn't that
3: oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: What's the uh, what's the most random instrument you've ever recorded with?
3: Uh, we had a kalimba on this album on Isle of Dogs, just because it was in the studio. I don't think played anything like tape or anything like that that I can remember. <laughs> I remember on Weddy when we recorded in. Um, in resolving and the miners' welfare, I remember Matthew was playing drums with Fanta bottles because there weren't actually any drumsticks. <laughs> so okay. maybe that's one of the most random things. Amazing.
2: Yeah, I remember um, Sean Moore on. Um, I think it's the Gold Against the soul era, Doing percussion with, um, I think it's a frying pan and a snooker ball, and it, and it <laughs> sort of like a nice like sort of cowbell kind of chocky effect. Yeah. Wow.
4: <laughs>
0: I really like um, as well the, um, you know, I think it's the, like the end of side one in, in, in old money, um, you know, just after am. So my, my and odds at cinema um, with the, like this, like like the argument at the end that they sort of seem to have, you know, recorded and kept on this, you know, um, talking about um, yeah. Um, microwaves and um, yeah. Tea bags and those sort of things and shut up, John. You know, and there's yeah. that. Just um, so nice that, you know, those little things getting kept on there. But
3: well, it's like on Patio when I don't know if it's Aeros' mum who comes in and tells them off for uh, <laughs> making too much noise and disturbing the yeah, neighbors.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what, what you've um, said uh, briefly about um, Eros's solo uh, records uh, in the subsequent years um, really seems to be spoiling us in uh, recent times with his Christmas album uh, 2020 was no different uh, with the release of the beautiful uh, Kitty Deer. What, what did you make of that and what, how do you rank it amongst his other solo releases?
3: Um, I guess it's not my favourite of his solo releases because, of course, it is two very, very long tracks. So I don't listen to it as often as I might listen to his other albums. But, I mean, I like it. It, it works. It's like the Miracle Inn where they have that really long Miracle Inn track. And I remember him playing it live and it was just, even though it was about, what, 15 minutes long or something, it still really works and it it keeps everyone's attention for that long. But, I mean, I think his previous album was probably, I preferred that, I think. I think it was more English language. But, I mean, there was some, like, Shower was one I really loved on there. And, um... Chops is probably still one of my favorites of his. Yeah. And I, I guess with his albums too, like he's goes between either all Welsh or all English or mixture bilingual. They all he there's always something consistent about them. It's just amazing that AROS has managed to release an album a year since he started yeah. doing his solo albums.
0: Yeah, it looked like it, it wasn't going to happen, didn't it, I think? Um,
3: yeah.
0: Was it last year or was it the year before? Yeah, maybe it's it last was, year because it was very late in December, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, that's it. It came out, I think, Christmas Eve or something. And it, yeah. just, no one was expecting it. Everyone was worried because, oh no, is, is this going to be gonna the first it. year with no A-Ross album? But the last minute it was released.
0: Where does Gorky's sir- Sit in the pantheon of Welsh music, Dave. Are they, um, you
1: know, are they up there with everybody else? Yeah, they are most definitely. But I think that um, I don't know when you when you look at them, they if you if you said they're a cult band, that that almost sort of demeans the output, um, yeah. Because obviously they were mainstream during that time, but I guess they were less successful commercially than the others, but then that's because, as we've touched on, you know, they had that idiosyncratic quirkiness to them and they, you know, resolutely ploughed their own furrow um, and always wanted to uh, retain that creative independence, I think. Um, So, yeah, of course, they, they sit alongside the others comfortably during that period, but I think they had more of uh an artistic outlook uh to their uh output essentially
0: yeah no absolutely uh, and, and you know, obviously neil mentioned the um this album was released uh on, on St. david's day in ninety four by by angst and uh Emma williams of um of, of angst said that you know they were the, one of the most talented groups he'd ever seen anywhere you know musically they were really developed fantastic songs arrangements aros's voice, the whole thing was in place before we had to, anything to do with them, really, which is, you know, ridiculous. As we, you know, mentioned how young they were, that it was, you know, they knew what they wanted. They, you know, they, you know, unashamedly, yeah, did what they wanted to do, you know, their own way, you know, didn't go down a path, like you said, always, always changing, always adapting, always sort of just, you know, doing, doing, doing their own thing. And I think, you know, it's like you mentioned, Neil, it's, you know, they're, you know, kindred spirits of the super furries, you know, you can't put them in a box, you know, and that's, you know, I think that's, you know, that, that's te- that's testament to them.
2: I know you said um, it was a difficult choice uh, when we were um, chatting back before uh, arranging this episode. What um, other favourite Welsh albums of yours almost made the cut tonight?
3: It was some other Gorky's albums. So it was Patio Boy Time, and it was Griff or Cisor hit Algin which is my favourite album of his. Uh yeah, um Rumours and Curses, or Super Spin. I think that I could have had MC Mab on Mr Blythe is another one. Uh so there's quite a few I was going through really.
0: So obviously we're um we're recording this um, you know, in support of uh Deep Music Cymru. Uh, it's a you know, it's a, it's it's a, a fabulous initiative that they set up, you know, they like Dave mentioned you know, they're going into schools and, you know, making children aware of, you know, the Welsh language music and just celebrating, you know, everything that's going on in, in, in the scene. You know, how important is these is Music Cymru to, you know, to, to, to music, to Welsh language music and to, and to Wales in general?
3: Oh, it is important because it's a day that you can specifically promote Welsh language music rather than music in general. But at the same time, it's part of other things. I think like the Aisthed has always been something to promote welsh language music and just welsh language gigs like A yaith so used to put on a lot of welsh language gigs things like that but obviously gigs aren't really a thing at the moment so definitely it's really important this year because there's not many channels to promote music at the moment so it's it's brilliant that we can have this day to promote that this lang, this Welsh language music is still out there and still being made and everything. So that is brilliant.
0: Okay, well diocam Dram Yeah.
2: To close this week, um I've chosen a really appropriate uh, tune actually, is it's uh Deep Music Cymru. Um, this is one uh, from one of our favourite albums. Um, last year came out last summer. El Goodo, uh Zombie. It's on uh, Strange Town Records. Downloaded by an amazing uh, record. This one is called Vleen. It's the only um, Welsh language song on the album. Uh, it's a gorgeous pop melody. Uh, it sounds like a joyous tune, but it's all about apologising. Um, Pixie Jones, the songwriter, said it's the first song he's ever written in Welsh. It felt natural to do in Welsh after toiling on and off with English lyrics over many years. He said, I heard uh, someone say Vin in the conversation and went with that. It's about having to apologise all the time. Here it is. <laughs>